New Testament presents us with fasting as something that is completely a Christian liberty, a matter of the Christian conscience. So they come and they ask Jesus this claim they, or this question, why are the, the, these other people fasting and you're not fasting? And then Jesus is going to answer. We'll get to the fasting in just a moment. But here's Jesus's answer. Verse 19. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they had the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So here we see once again, Mark is bringing to us a very clear pronouncement of the deity of Jesus. Remember, this is the point of the whole book. The book, the, the main point of Mark is to show that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And we've seen many claims to divinity so far. We see yet another one here because Jesus is going to answer their question. The question is directed to him. Why do you and your disciples not fast? And Jesus' answer begins with, his answer is twofold, but it begins with, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is here? Clearly, comparing himself to the bridegroom. Nowhere in the entirety of the Old Testament was Messiah ever compared to the bridegroom. But instead, the Father, God the Father, is said to be, multiple times, he's said to be the husband of Israel, and he's said to be the husband of adulterous Israel. So in both instances, God is frequently compared to a husband in the Old Testament. Never is Messiah compared to a husband or a bridegroom in the Old Testament. And here Jesus' answer begins with this sort of parable, this sort of pithy statement that clearly is comparing him to the bridegroom. So Jesus once again gives this plain and clear claim to divinity. He says, can, verse 19, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Then verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in that day. So just a word about that, about the bridegroom being taken from him, that might seem a little bit out of place because it might seem to us, and we'd be right in saying this, it might seem to us that Jesus could have given the answer without that part and it would have made just as much sense. How can the wedding guests fast when the bridegroom is here? And then move on to the two parables that is going to, it would have made just as much sense. But he instead inserts this little statement about, oh, and the time will come when they will fast. Don't worry about that. They will fast when the bridegroom is taken from them. So what's going on there? That is, of course, the first allusion to the crucifixion of Jesus. The first allusion in Mark's gospel. In fact, the first one that occurs in any of the gospels. The first reference to the coming crucifixion of Jesus. But in addition to this, we see something of this tearing away, because he's going to tell, tell this parable immediately after this, he's going to tell this parable about a patch and the patch tearing away from the original garment. And if we look closely, we would see that the same word is used here to not just being taken away, but literally what, what Jesus says is the bridegroom will be torn away. So literally what Jesus says here is, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the day is coming when the bridegroom will be torn from them. But nobody sews a new patch onto an old garment because the new patch will tear away from the old garment, making a worse 
tear. You see the flow of thought there. Tearing away the bridegroom, tearing away the patch from the old cloth. And the analogy, in fact, is going to continue on beyond that because we're going to see a couple more tearings. I, I, I like seeing these, these connections in Mark's thoughts because here we have the tearing away of the bridegroom. Then we have the tearing away of the old patch or the new patch from the old garment. The next tear we're going to see in Mark's gospel is the tearing of the priest's clothes when Jesus says to him, the next time you see me, I'll be coming on clouds of power. And then after that, the next tearing will be the tearing of the temple veil. So four tearings, the tearing away of the bridegroom, the tearing away of the patch, the tearing of the priest's clothes with the declaration, you will see me coming on the clouds of power, and then the tearing of the curtain. And then he goes from this, which by the way, another reason to make note of this is, once again, let's remember who Mark is writing to. Mark is writing to one of the most persecuted groups of Christians in the New Testament, if, if not in the New Testament church, is these Roman Christians during the period of intense persecution under Nero. So he's saying to them, he, it's, it's almost like Jesus wants Mark to just insert this little statement, there will be fasting, but that period of fasting will be short and it will have an end to it because Mark's readers right now are, are in a point at which they probably feel like fasting because they probably feel like their back is against the wall, like, like they've got no way out, like this persecution has broken out and it's so intense and my friends are being killed, being put in prison, we're losing our jobs, we're losing our homes. The world is on fire right now. And so here comes the words of Jesus to say, not to worry, there will be a time of fasting, but that time of fasting will have an end to it. And after that, there will be rejoicing. Then the uh, parable comes to us, verse 20 again, the days will come when the bridegroom is torn from them and then they will fast in that day. Now verse 21, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, the worse tear is made. And no one puts a new, new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins, but new wine is for fresh skins. So this idea uh, that Jesus is going to follow up this, this, there will come this time of fasting. There will come the tearing away of the bridegroom. And he's going to follow that up with these two parables. Both of the parables are a parable about, a, about an insufficient container, if you will, or an old thing that's insufficient and a new thing comes and the new thing and the old thing are not compatible. And so both of these things together, the bridegroom and the tearing away of the bridegroom, but the feasting and the festival of the bridegroom and the, the wedding festival, together with these two parables of a new thing that's incompatible with the old thing, both of these things come together to answer their question about fasting, because that's the original question that brought all this about. Why are we fasting and your disciples are not fasting? So let's now talk a little bit about the fasting that they're doing and why it is that they seem bothered that Jesus' disciples are not fasting. So fasting is something that, once again, kind of like the disciples of John. We may not have thought very often about the disciples of John. Sort of in the same way with, with fasting, I, I think if we were to ask the, the person who is maybe just a casual student of the Bible, maybe, maybe we've not looked closely into our scriptures, if we were to just ask something like this, I don't know, uh, pose a question like this, how important is fasting in the scriptures? I think that most people will be inclined to say, well, that's really important. The scriptures talk about fasting, and yeah, we are to be people that fast. That might be sort of a standard generic answer. 
But let's look a little closer into what the scriptures actually say to us about fasting. So if we begin in the Old Testament and we ask ourselves, what, what do we see? What's fasting about in the Old Testament? We would see that fasting occurs quite frequently in the Old Testament. But we also see that the fasting that we see in the Old Testament is almost exclusively a type of fasting that is a fasting for a particular occasion or some sort of event that is a difficulty or some sort of, of trauma. And so there will be times in which a fast is declared. For example, Esther chapter 4, before Esther, when Esther is preparing to go in, boldly go in to King Ahasuerus, and she asks the people to fast for her. Or Nehemiah chapter 1, who fasts before he goes in and talks to the king. Or Moses on the mountain fasting for 40 days. So we see occasions in which there are fastings that take place. But if we look closely, we will see that there is only, in all the pages of the Old Testament, there is only one perpetual fast that's regulated. And that is the fast of Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. So one time a year, God's people were told to fast. And that fasting was to be in connection with the Day of Atonement, the day in which Israel collectively gathered together in brokenheartedness over their sin and repentance over their sin. And this day of atonement was to take away the people's sin for another year. That was the only prescribed fast in all the Old Testament. It was the only perpetual fast. Again, there will be times in which God's people would, would be told, we need to fast over this thing, or we need to fast over this question right here. But in all the times that fasting is mentioned, it's only one time in which a perpetual regulated fast is commanded of God's people. And yet, somehow, by this point, now the Pharisees are fasting not just for the Day of Atonement, but we're told that they're actually fasting twice a week. Remember in Luke chapter 18, when Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that go into the temple courtyard to pray and the tax collector standing way off and the Pharisee says, I'm just glad I'm not like that guy way over there for I fast twice a week. And that's what the Pharisees did. They fasted twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays were fast days. So every Monday, every Thursday, if you lived in Israel during Jesus's lifetime, every Monday and every Thursday, you would see Pharisees fasting and you would know that they're fasting because they made a big show of it. They displayed, they, they didn't comb their hair. They wore messed up clothes on that day. They, they disguised their faces in such a way as to look hungrier than they really were. And that was every Monday, every Thursday. So somehow that's morphed from one time a year to two times a week, which is, if you do the math, about a hundred times more than God had prescribed the fast to be. Which brings to us a very relevant warning this morning, which is to say, beware of being more righteous than God. Beware of being more righteous than God. And I say that obviously sort of tongue in cheek, but it's an easy thing to do. It's a, it's a thing that we see a lot of in the scriptures, don't we? For example, James and John when they come across the Samaritans who won't believe Jesus' message, and what do they say? Oh, we need to call down fire on these people. You see, more righteous than Jesus Himself. And in fact, that's really the root behind virtually all of the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, or at least between Jesus and the Pharisees. 
is this idea that they felt themselves more righteous than the Son of God Himself. And so in this way, their fasts have gone a hundred times beyond what God had prescribed for His people so that in such a way that they are now, we're told, heaping a burden on the people which the people cannot bear. So that's what we see in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prescribes that one day of fasting, but we do see that God's people sort of had, from time to time, they were told to fast. And in addition to that, they, of course, had the freedom that when they felt that a fast was appropriate, they could then fast when they felt it needful. So in the Old Testament, as well as the New, when we think about fasting, we think about an activity that's connected. We, we of course, know what fasting is. It's uh, in, the, in the Bible. It is the intentional depriving oneself of food, perhaps food and water, depending on what kind of fast it was, but at least food for a period of time. And that, that deprivation came from a sense of well, a number of things. Repentance over sin, brokenness over sin, grief, despair, fear, anxiety, uncertainty, need, lack, loss. You get the idea. Fasting always was something that came out of a heart of desperation, a heart that had a felt need, whether that felt need was the need for repentance and forgiveness or the need for divine guidance or divine assistance or divine deliverance. It was always a response that came from lack or need or despair or some type of of situation in which the person was placed into or the nation was placed into in which they were desperate for God to hear and for God to respond. So that's the Old Testament picture of fasting. Now we come to the New Testament. And again, we ask ourselves the question, what's the deal with Christians and fasting? Is fasting really important to Christians? We might tend to say, well, yeah. The Bible says that the fasting is pretty important for Christians. But let's look to the scriptural evidence and let's just see what the Bible teaches us, what the New Testament teaches us about the Christian and fasting. And so we have, in just the next few moments, I'm going to give you the totality of everything the New Testament says about fasting. It's not going to take that long. So we've already talked about the question that's brought to Jesus here in this episode. There's going to be one other occasion in Matthew 6, we'll talk about that in a little bit, in Matthew 6, where Jesus rebukes the, he calls them hypocrites, for making a big show out of their fasting. And so Jesus is going to say there, when you fast, don't do it like they do it. Outside of that, in your handout, here's what we have. Acts chapter 9, verse 9, And for three days, Paul, Saul, after the Damascus Road experience, was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Acts 13, verses 2 and 3, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Acts 14, verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And there you've just now heard the totality of what the New Testament says about fasting. Nowhere is the Christian commanded to fast. In fact, I would say nowhere is it implied that the Christian is expected to fast. 
Now, some would say, well, what about Matthew 6 when Jesus says, when you fast, don't do it like this. Isn't Jesus saying that he's expecting us to fast? I would say that's a stretch. For Jesus to say, when you do this, don't do it that way. I'd say it's a little bit of a stretch to go from that to say, well, clearly that means Jesus is expecting you to do that. So what I would say to us is that the New Testament presents us with fasting as something that is completely a Christian liberty, a matter of the Christian conscience, a matter of something that is never regulated for the Christian, never required for the Christian, but is nevertheless something that the Christian may from time to time feel the need to engage in. So that's what the New Testament presents to us about this question of of fasting. For the Jew, the fasting was mostly a matter of freedom, except for that one occasion per year. For the Christian, it's a matter of complete freedom, of complete conscience. For the Pharisee, and for the disciple of John apparently, it had become a matter of necessity twice a week. Can you imagine the burden? Can you imagine the burden of twice a week performing this fast and the expectations that would be heaped upon you that the two times a week you're, you're expected to be fasting? This is what we see now in terms of the New Testament's teaching on fasting. So now let's now turn back to the passage. And once again, for verse 19, Jesus said, or I'm sorry, verse 18. And the people came and said to him, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? Your disciples don't. Jesus answered them by saying, well, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So this idea of fasting is what they have latched upon as one of the central expressions of what they consider to be the expression of their Jewish faith. There were three expressions of the Jewish faith that were central to the Jew. Three public expressions upon which rested the entire, we could say almost the entire public outward expression of the Jewish faith. And those three public expressions of faith were fasting, public prayer, and giving alms. Those three things were the public expression of the Jewish faith. And what's interesting is when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to address each one of those things in sequence. All three of these public expressions of the Jewish faith, Jesus is going to pick each one of them apart. In Matthew chapter 6, first he's going to say, as far as this practice of giving alms to the poor, Jesus is going to say, you know, when you give to the needy, don't do like the hypocrites do, who blow this trumpet and say, hey, everybody look, I'm getting ready to give to the poor. Watch me. You know, kind of like the, the, the form of first century social media with all the selfies. When, you know, when we do something for the poor, there's got to be a selfie and a social media post about it. In a similar sort of way, that same attitude existed in the first century. Hey, everybody, look, I'm getting ready to give to the poor. Jesus says, don't do it like that. He immediately goes from that to the second public expression of Jewish faith, which is public prayer. And Jesus says, you know, when you pray in public, because that's what the Jew did if you lived in, particularly if you lived in Jerusalem, that's what you did daily. There were two prayer services daily in which you gathered in the temple courtyard and you prayed publicly. And so Jesus said, when you do that, don't do it like the hypocrites who want to be seen for all their words and all their, their flowing long prayers. Jesus says, don't do it like that. Instead, go and get alone with your father. And then Jesus, after that, gives what we know of as the Lord's Prayer, 
And then right after that, he then addresses the third and the final public expression of the Jewish faith, which is what we're talking about today, fasting. And he says there, he says, you know, when you, when you fast, don't do it like these hypocrites. Don't do it like they do, because what they do is they intentionally disguise themselves. They intentionally put on this sad, hungry sort of face and, and wear old, messed up clothes and don't comb the hair because they want to look as destitute. They want to look as like they, like they are going through as much trouble and pain as possible for God. We want everybody to see just how much trouble we're going through for God because we're so faithful and we love God so much that this is what we're doing. You see it? You see what we're doing for God? So Jesus says, don't do it like that. <laughs> 